Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, I'm actually um, I'm actually quite pleased that uh, I was uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to have a big crowd or just a more of an intimate crowd. I'm actually quite pleased that this year is a little bit of a smaller crowd than I was than then. No, I'm actually quite pleased because this is a I've never given a share like the share I'm about to give in terms of Hilchos Tshuva, and I sort of would consider this shear to be really a preliminary type of shear, meaning that the shear that I'm going to give now is really a question of dealing with real-life issues and challenges when people, it's nice to learn the laws of tshuva and learn the Rambam, to learn Rabbeinu Yonah, and to learn the various other great unbelievable insights into tshuva of our commentaries, but the question of translating that sometimes into our actual life is one of great um, great um, import and also of great challenge. That means to say that there are times when you just read the Rambam and you say, oh, all you need to do, it's very simple to do tshuva. The Rambam writes in Perak Bays in Hilchos Tshuva, Three quick steps to tshuva. First, you recognize the sin. That doesn't. That's that's the preliminary step. After you recognize the sin, you just simply the language of the Rambam is you leave the sin, regret the sin. You leave it. You walk away from the sin. Aziva sachet. You regret it after you leave it, right? Then you and then you express contrition, confession, vidui, and then you makabel that you won't do it anymore. Finished your Balchuva, Givaldic. That's such an unbelievable it's a, it's a it's a beautiful thing and these are the steps of Chuva and they're very important and one has to know the steps. But we all know people in this room and people who are not in this room, we know the complexity of the psychology of sin and the complexity of change and the challenge of change. And so therefore and, and this challenge of change and the complexity of sin is something that is noted by our great, by our great commentaries, our great mefarshim, great thinkers, and and uh, as of late, um, there's been a tremendous um, awareness of the integration between Torah and psychology, between Torah and psychology, and the ability to try to understand or to use our newfound awareness of how human beings change or how human beings. Um, grow and to integrate that into Hilchos Tshuva is something that uh, some of the modern day thinkers, rabbis, uh, B'nai Torah have really tried to understand and work on. And so this is like a preliminary shear in the sense that I'm just thinking about the issues in a very, just the very beginning and I hope at some later point to refine this type of thing, but refine this type of shear, but at least to start with the first offering of some of the vexing problems of tshuva in this regard, and some etzes, some advice, some real advice, and, and parameters, and parameters. First, I would like to begin, I have a sheet here, there are some people that came in a little bit later, uh, please hand out that sheet. I want to begin and read to you, read with you the, um, the language of the Rambam. The Rambam in Hilchos Tshuva, this is actually the Rambam, the very first, uh, source in, on the page is the Rambam in chapter 7. The Rambam in chapter 7 in the laws of Tshuva. I do not have an English translation for you, so I apologize, but I will read it with you. 
The Rambam says, Al ya'avor b'machshavtecha. Do not think. Do not let it remain in your thoughts. Davar zeh, this, she'omrim tipshei umos ha'olam. This, which the foolish of the Gentiles or the nations of the world, the rov golmei b'nei Yisrael, and many Jews, golem, golem in this case, does not mean an unformed Jew. It means, um, shall we say, a naive, an unlettered Jew. People think, Shakarish Baruch Hu goes there al ha'adam, that God decrees, mitchilas vriyaso, from the beginning, liyos tzadik o rasha, that an individual, um, is it either going to be righteous or not, or wicked? Eina davar Don't think, don't believe in fate, the Rambam is saying. Predetermination. It's interesting. The Rambam tells us, we're going to read the language of the Rambam in a moment, but the Rambam tells us there are 13 principles of faith. Famous 13 principles of faith of the Rambam, which people have talked about for a long time. But the Rambam actually has 14 principles of faith. And in one place he gives us 13, and he calls them Ikar, Ikarim. And then in Hilchos Tshuva he says, and the greatest Ikar, the greatest principle of Jewish faith, Ha'ikar Hagadol, the great principle, the 14th principle of faith, is that man can choose. Yet if you don't believe in the ability for man to choose, then nothing else makes sense. And therefore he says, Eina Dover came, it's not correct. Any person theoretically has the potential to be as righteous as Moshe, or as wicked as Yeravam, first king of Israel, O Chacham, O Sachal, O Rachman, O Achzari, O Kili, O Shua, Vechein Sha'ar Kol Adeos. He could be wise, he could be foolish, he could be merciful, he could be cruel. And there's no one forcing him. Below Gozer Alav. No one decreeing, nor one who is pushing him in one or two directions. A person can choose, a person can choose in which direction he wants to go. And this is what Yermio taught us from the mouth of the high cannot come. Bad or good. Bad or good is us. God does not decree for us to choose good or bad. Therefore, the sinner is the one that causes his own damage. Etc., etc., the Rambam says. And therefore, since it's in our choice, in our ability... Therefore, it is appropriate and fitting for us to return in tshuva, and to leave our wickedness, which we have chosen. This is why it is written, we shall research, we shall search our ways, and we shall investigate, and then we shall return. So the Rambam makes a statement, which if we were to look at the Rambam in a blanket manner, if we were to look at the language of Maimonides and not look at anything else that the Rambam tells us, I think would be a little bit depressing. In other words, the Rambam, one thing that we have choice, 
certainly that we, we believe. That's a very important principle in Jewish faith, that we have free will. But the Rambam then, when he, when he formulates what that free will is, when the Rambam formulates what that free will is, the Rambam says some very challenging things, I would say. The Rambam says, yeah, every, nobody, everybody here, you can choose to be cruel, choose to be merciful. You can choose whether or not you're wise, you can choose whether or not you are foolish. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, we all know that um, there are certain individuals they have like math brains, right? Like, you know, they just like, you know, they're, they're born with like derivatives and, and, and logarithmic, you know, functions. My wife is like, a, has an innate GPS. You don't have to like, she can tell the GPS, you know, that you should, re- you should reroute. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's like well, no, that's not the best way. They, they have it wrong. I don't know why they didn't use this way, right? Certainly we know that people have different natures. The Rambam himself tells us that. That people have different natures, and certainly we know that it's 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 intuitive. It's also observed. Some people are more calm, chilled. Some people are more um, on edge. Some people are more passionate. Some people are more apathetic. Some people have math brains. Some people don't. Some people are right are are literarily gifted, and some people have no idea what to do with nouns, verbs, and adjectives, right? So we know that at, we know that there are many different types of traits. And, uh, and the Gemara itself tells us a person is born with an anger streak. They have to know how to handle that streak and how, how, to, how to properly channel it. So the Rambam is not saying that everything is tabula rasa. Clearly the Rambam is not saying that. That would be, that would be both contradictory to our observable reality. And the Rambam himself tells us that in Hilchos Deos, in the laws, in, the, in, in discussing the, the nature and the temperament of people, the Rambam tells us that people have, certainly have different, different natures. So without a question, the Rambam is not saying it. So what is the Rambam saying? The Rambam is saying is that at the end of the day, what we do with the, with the peckle, what we do with the personality and the innate um, nature that we have on a very basic level is up to us to choose. We have choice given the framework and the context of the personality traits that God gave us. Without a question that the Rambam is, is, is telling us there's no such thing as a person who is born to murder. A person can certainly be born with a certain anger without a question. But then the Rambam tells us, now please look at the next um, source. I'm skipping to the second paragraph in that next source. This, this is the Ramam in chapter 4 in the Laws of Tshuva. The Ramam says, There are five things that otam that when a person engages in this these types of behavior, tamid, he will find himself drawn and they become very difficult to separate from. Therefore, a person must be very careful to guard oneself from beginning the process. Because if he gets caught up, then it's going to be very hard to extricate oneself. And these are very, very bad things. What are those things? The Eluhain. Rechilus the Lashon Hara. 
What does that mean? Rechilus v'lashonara? Gossip and speaking bad. Right? So these are two different things. Speaking lashonara could be, it's not that I'm constantly peddling the information around. I'm not a big yenta, but, I, but when I speak about an individual, I'm constantly speaking in, in a way that's downgrading him. Rechilus is more, I just, I just keep on peddling, right? Ubal chema. What does that mean, bal chema? Anger. Ubal machshava ra'a. Person who's, who has bad thoughts all the time. He's constantly, either he's jealous, or he's thinking maybe the wrong type of thoughts, sexual, inappropriate thoughts. Vamischaber l'rasha. And also, somebody that connects himself to bad company. He connects himself to a Russia. These are five things. These are five things that are very, very corrosive. Why? Because they remain. You learn from the deeds of the Russia. They begin, he's just talking about the Russia now, and they begin to make an impression. So what is the Ramam telling us here? He's telling us that without a question, a person can create patterns within one's own life that begin to be very hard to extricate oneself from. So the Ram says, therefore, don't get into the mess in the first place. Okay, but what's the problem? Some of us have. Again, not you at all, but I know some people that have. Okay? So therefore, the Rambam is telling us, so you, a person can, can be prone to addictive behavior, a person can get caught in the thicket of inappropriate behavior and it gets very hard, very hard to pull himself out. So it sounds like the Ramam is saying that my laws of chula that I spoke to you about in chapter 2, now it's chapter 4, it's afterwards, I realize that it's not going to be so simple to just do those, the steps in such an easy way because when you get caught up, it's not only about doing the steps, it's about breaking habits. And so therefore, the challenge of chuva isn't simply the formulaic, it's trying to figure out strategies and understanding the deep nature, the deep-rooted nature of sin itself. So, I would like to sort of divide my talk into, into um, three parts. Okay. One is, I want to talk about strategies for the, or, or dealing with the chronic sin. The chronic sin. The chronic sin is not necessarily the same as an addiction. Chronic sin might be that I just can't seem to stop speaking Lashon Hara. It's not necessarily that, I'm a, that I'm, I have an addiction in any sort of clinical way. I can't stop eating shrimp. Okay. I don't think that's relevant to most people here. What? A chronic sin, a sin that I keep on coming back to, <laughs> keep on coming back to. But it's still, it's not, it's not an addictive personality. Texting on Shabbos. Texting on Shabbos. It's not an addiction. It's not an addiction for the most part. Addiction is actually has clinical, um, clinical definitions, right? Um, so there's there's a chronic sinner. There's an addictive personality. That's a second sort of piece. And that, that's, that, those sins can be in the realm of Bein Adam Lamakam, between man and God. Um, and certainly they can also be in the realm of Bein Adam Lachaver, between man and, and fellow men. I think that's maybe just give me a cup of water. 
Um, and, um, and then I want to talk about the issues of dealing with difficult people. Abusive <laughs> relationships or difficult relationships. Not necessarily abusive, right? We will see that when it comes to abusive relationships, that's a whole set of halachas associated with an abuser that will, might surprise you. And within abusive relationships, I want to talk about parents, abusive parents, versus other type of abusive situations. Okay. Okay, so the first, the first thing I want to talk about is... Three yeah, chronic sinner, addictive personality, and, and um, difficult relationships. Within difficult relationships, abusive, um, abusive personalities, and... Um, and, and such as parents, etc., and just regular challenging types of relationships. Okay. Thank you very much. Amen. 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 I am not a, uh, I'm not a, I, I am not a person that has studied these things in great depth. I'm looking at it more from the Torah perspective, but I'm also trying to integrate a little bit of psychology, and I certainly welcome your comments during and after this year, but mostly after. So the, um, okay. So the, um, for, the chronic, for the chronic sinner, the one who really, the one who really knows one who really knows that they what they're doing is wrong. Um, however, they can't seem to um, they can't seem to pull themselves out of it. They can't seem to pull themselves out of it. So, yes. Yeah, the shear actually is being recorded as well, so you can. You're going to send it out. Yeah, yeah. You want to? No problem. So, I want to share with you something very, very profound and very important. And this is, I, I believe that what I'm going to tell you now is not well known. It's not what? It's not well known in terms of most of the classical sources, but there is a very important notion that somebody who every Yom Kippur, find, every Rosh Hashanah or every Yom Kippur finds himself with the same list, the same list as the previous year, and he says, well, what, my tshuva must be useless because I, I didn't want to be doing this last year and I... This wasn't supposed to be the year, and it didn't come out that way. It must be that my tshuva is not significant. So I want to share with you three or four sources that indicate that that's not the case. In other words, the one who sins chronically, eats the wrong type of food, hilchas kashrus, says the wrong types of diburim, lashon hara, gets angry in a way that's inappropriate and knows that what they're doing is wrong and really wants to pull out of it. And on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the Aserah Tshuva turns to God and says, I'm really terribly regretful of this behavior. And that person certainly needs to do the work, needs to do the work of pulling out of, of the anger, the anger management, or the controlling one's desire and the going through the steps, whatever the steps are, whether it's the steps of the you know, the Alcoholics Anonymous or the Overeaters Anonymous, the 12-step recovery, or some other process. But let's say didn't do the work, but expresses regret and really feels bad. So does that count for anything if the next day or the next hour they're back in the mess? 
So if you look at the language of the Rambam, mm-hmm. if you look at the language of the Rambam, which I amazingly forgot to bring here, um, somebody can maybe just, if the Rambam and Sefer Hamada, if somebody can maybe just bring it to me in the back, mm-hmm. it's that Sefer Hamada, the Hilchos Chuba, the Rambam, it's on that, those bookshelves. I would appreciate it. The Rambam writes as follows. The Rambam writes that when a person does tshuva, I'll read to you the language of the Rambam. When a person does tshuva, so we said before they need to recognize the sin. They, re- they recognize the sin. They have to say they won't go to the sin again. And the Rambam says, and if what happens if a person confesses the sin, but they still continue to sin, the Rambam says it's like you're being tovel v'sheretz biyado. It's like you are going to the mikvah, but as you emerge from the mikvah, you're still holding on to the source of impurity. You're holding on to the sheretz. You're holding on to the, that which gave you the impurity in the first place. So the Rambam seems to say, so if you're still enmeshed in sin, then how are you going to possibly get out of it? So, listen to the following line in the Rambam. Thank you very much. Listen to the following line in the Rambam, which initially sounds very depressing. But I want to share with you two very important ways of understanding the Rambam, which I think will give us a lot of hope. So, this is not a strategy. I'm not giving strategies yet. This is just a perspective on the one who regrets the sin, but comes back to it. The one who leaves the sin temporarily and then comes back to it. This is not a, pr- a strategy, but a, but a Torah perspective on that. So many of us think that that's like a bracha levatala. That's like a blessing in vain. So I want to share with you three comments. One is a comment on the Rambam, given by the Lechem Mishnah, and the Bnei Yisachar, two different comments on the Rambam. The other one is a comment of Rabbi Saul Salanter, and the third one is a comment of the Mabit. Three perspectives on the one who finds himself with the same list every year, or almost the same list every year, something who, that's important to understand. So the Rambam says as follows, in Hilchos Tshuva, that chapter 2, that what needs to happen is as follows, he should regret what he did. Then the Ya'id Allah Yodeya Ta'alumos, chapter 2, Halacha 2. And then the one who knows all the secrets, that's God, and maybe one spouse, the Yahid Allah Yodea Talumos, Shalo Yashuv Leolam, he must testify that that person will not return to the sin again. So, in other words, when the person is expressing the confession, the Ramam seems to be saying, When is the Chuva process going to be real? The Rambam seems to be saying it's only when, it's only when God can say he's never going to come back to the sin again. So that's a very depressing line in the Rambam, because then, then, then we're, then we're all not we're all, but some of you, at least one of you, me, right, is in a bad place because if you repeat the sin, then what happened to the tshuva? Yeah. So, first comment lechem mishnah. The lechem mishnah says. Lecha Mishnah is not just something you eat on, on Shabbos. It's a commentary on the Rambam. <laughs> Lecha Mishnah, commentary on the Rambam, is called Mishnah Torah. So the Lecha Mishnah is the bread for the Mishnah. So the Lecha Mishnah says as follows. That the Rambam is saying not that you'll never go back to the sin. But at the moment that you are expressing your contrition, at the moment you are expressing your confession, the Rambam is saying that Bisha'ah Shahu Osechuvah, at that moment, you're saying to God, I hate the fact that I did this. I don't want to ever go back to it again. 
I really, 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 really mean it. I have no pleasure in it. No pleasure in the fact that I did it. That, that I spoke to Lashon Hara. I recognize the enormity of the sin. I recognize the damage of the divisiveness. I recognize that it creates a barrier between me and somebody else. Between me and you, God. And I'm disgusted by it. And that's the mindset of the moment. If God can testify that at the moment that you're saying the vidui, it's real, then even if five minutes later, God forbid, not a joke, even if sometime later you go back to the sin, you have done tshuva. Because the key is the way that you feel at the moment. And Rav Volbi, one of the great Balei Musar, of, our, of this generation, passed away about uh, eight, nine years ago already, maybe seven years ago. Ravobi, when he talks about this idea that I just shared with you, Ravobi quotes a Gemara. And you remember Yishmael is judged, right? Yishmael is judged. Is he going to be, is he going to die in the desert or not? So God says, the Malach says to Hagar, don't worry. God has heard the voice of the Na'ar as he is there. So, where else is he if not there? Why does the Torah say, Ba'asher Husham? So the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah 16b tells us that we learn from here that a person is judged only for the deeds of the moment. On Rosh Hashanah, for the deeds of the moment. And on this, Rabbeinu Hananel says that Imzach v'yashar ata achshav, if right now you are enveloped in purity, not a joke, not a game, I'm coming back tomorrow, it's a bad joke. The Gemara says in Yuma that when a person does tshuva from love, so then all of their averos turn into merits, zechuyos. So the rabbi walks into the shul, it's Erev Yom Kippur, and he sees the most wicked guy in the shul, the worst guy in the shul, he's crying like crazy. And he's crying, and he goes over, and he's very moved by this tshuva. And he says, listen, I see you're very, very, you know, you're very down. Don't be so down. The Gemara says when you do tshuva from love, then and it's all forgiven. And not only that, I see it so deep by you that it's going to all turn into merits. So the guy stops him and goes, Rabbi, thank you so much. And then he turns to him and he says, you know, Rabbi, just wait till next year. I'll have even more mitzvahs. Right? So that's a very bad joke. That's a very bad joke. So that's called Ha'omer, right? Echtev Ashub or Ashub Echtev. Right? I'm going to do tshuva and then I'm going to sin again. That's not what we're talking about. But a person who, in a deep way, really regrets it. So the Gemara says, based on the explanation of Rabbi Nechananel, at that moment, what is, he, what is he feeling? He's feeling really bad at that moment, then it is a proper tshuva. Very important comment. So that's comment of the Lecha Mishnah, with an addition of Ravobi on this point. Now, comment number two. I just saw this a few days ago in the Sefer known as the Bnei Yisachar, of Elimelech of Dinov. It says an amazing thing. Says an amazing thing. I don't want to. Div- I don't want to go into it further. I just want to put it out there. He says, "Why is it that God needs to be called in the language of the Rambam the one who knows the hidden secrets? If the if the Rambam is talking about somebody who's expressing himself or is is expressing contrition, what's with the hidden secrets? What's going on with the hidden secrets? They're already out there. So the Bnei Yisrael says." that the nature of the tshuva that the Rambam is talking about is someone, even if, this is even like a further removed level, if somebody is caught up in a certain type of action, a certain behavior, and he knows, even as he recognizes the enormity of the, of the Avera, he knows that, he knows that tomorrow he's going back. He knows he's going back tomorrow. 
because he knows he's helpless, he's powerless to the sin. He's mommy's power. He can't control himself. He knows he can't control himself. But at the moment that he is expressing his contrition, he says, I wish I could control myself. I, I, I'm envisioning in my mind a machshava of what it would be like to be in control. I wish I could control myself. He, in his machshavas, He's envisioning a man of control. So says the Bnei Yisrael, that's also tshuva. That's also tshuva. Tshuva v'machshava, the Rambam is saying that only Hashem who is able to testify in the deepest place that this is really what He wants. He knows that tomorrow He's going back. Don't give up. Don't think that the effort to try to gain control, and we'll talk about strategies in a moment or two, but don't think that that is a useless effort. Just imagining, beckoning the image, thinking about what it's like to be in control, recognizing the, 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 the effects of sin and really feeling bad about it, that itself is a maisa tshuva. Very important, no? Two comments on the Rambam, the Lecha Mishnah and the Bnei Yisosna. Now, let me share with you an amazing source. This one we did put on the page. This is the Mabit. Please take a look so at the... So doing it and so the, the lecha, it. Right, so one is actually one... The comment of the Bnei Soskar is even more remarkable. Why? What are you saying? Because it. it's... Uh, the the, the, the Lecha Mishnah is saying, at that moment you're saying to yourself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That's it. I'm finished with this Avera. Right? At that moment. Could be tomorrow you go back. But at that moment... But the Bnei Sussler is saying that what? So, you know, even, I know, tomorrow I'm going back. Tomorrow I'm going back. So I won't be able to control myself, but I really wish I could control myself. I really wish I could. I, I know it's bad. It's bad for me. It's bad in my relationship. It's bad in my relationship with God, with other people. But I just can't control myself. I'm, but I really feel bad. And it's in my machshava. It's really true. So the, Ramam, so the Bnei Sussler says, that's what the Ramam is saying. That's also called the Maise Truth. Now, you know, the danger of what I'm saying is, there's a danger in what I'm saying, right? What's the danger? You walk out and say, oh, this is great. She was so easy. It's Kabbalah. No, no, that's, but you have to be intellectually honest. You have to be real with yourself. You can be, you can fake it with everybody else. What's that? It's like the Catholic Right, well, no, that's a fake. I'm saying, this is, this is a real process. Now, now, okay, so, so, then let me read to you a comment of the Mabit. Who was the Mabit? Rav Yosef Trani, 16th century Italian uh, Italian commentary. Mabit, the Mabit, Rav Yosef Tirani. And he says as follows. Look please at the last um, paragraph on the first side that I handed out to you. Okay, so... But is it, just, is it a tet or a tet at the end of this evening? Tet, tet. Okay. Rav Moshe ben Yosef Trani. Sorry, Rav Moshe ben Yosef Trani. So he says like this, Achar, the last paragraph on the, actually it's the second last paragraph, Achar shenit ba'er inyan hatshuva. This source appears in Ravobi Sefer, the Alei Shor, and he, before I present the source, I'll say Ravobi writes, thank you to the Mabit who gave us some hope. Listen to what he says. Achar shenit ba'er inyan hatshuva. After we have explained the concept of tshuva, ki hi, 
that tshuva represents regret and leaving the sin, nomar, we must say, ki enam kishar ha-mitzvos, that tshuva is different than other mitzvos. In what sense? Because in other mitzvos, she'a'oseh chelek ha-mitzvah, if a person does a part of the mitzvah, ain't lo chelek schar ha-mitzvah, this person doesn't have a partial reward. I put on three out of four corners of Sittis. I should get three quarters reward. Kemoshe Tomar Mitzvah Sittis Hu Bedaura Kanfos Four corners. Vaose Tzitzis Begimel Kanfos Levad If a person does Sittis with three of the four corners Eino Mikayim Gimel Chelke HaMitzvah He has not gotten three quarters reward. Why not? Because the mitzvah is what is all or nothing. It's like you did nothing. But when it comes to tshuva, even if it isn't complete, even if it doesn't encompass all of the components of, of, of regret for the past, and wanting to leave, im kol hacharata levad, if you regret it alone, without leaving the sin, you regret it. But you're not ready to leave the sin. I feel bad that I spoke Lashon Hara, but I, but I don't feel bad enough to want to leave it. But I feel bad. I have charata, but I can't leave the sin. Or let's say I leave the sin, but I don't really feel that bad. You know, I go look back at my life, oh, that was really a gishmaka avera. That was really... A, I mean, I, I, mean I, I made fun of that person, but that was so much fun. That's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing, right? It's a terrible thing to say that. But let's say you, you know, you're, you're a 15-year-old. Right? You're going... You know, it's, now you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 30. And you're going back to your high school days. You think, that was really... That was a lot of fun. Or like something right? so, 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 so a person... Like, so, so comes, comes the Mabit and he says that if you leave the sin, even if you don't have regret for what you did, that's also a partial tshuva. You can have a partial tshuva. You can have... There is a concept of a partial tshuva. That's a very, very, very important concept. That's... Again, we could talk about this a lot, but it's something to keep in mind. Let's say you say, you know, I, I'm going to leave the sin, but I don't have proper regret. Or I, ha- I really regret it, which is, I think, the more common. I really regret it, but I don't know if I have the cough to leave the sin. So, so comes the Mabit and he says, that's also... That's also a chilek in the midst of tshuva. And by the way, I want to share with you, there, we, we say this in Shmon Esrei, hachazirenu b'teshuva shalema l'fanecha. What does that mean? Return us in a complete tshuva before you. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Hachazirenu b'teshuva shalema l'fanecha. So what does that imply? If we talk about a complete tshuva, what does that imply? No, what does that imply? Complete tshuva. That there's partial tshuva. If I say, by the way, just a very interesting thing, I like to say this, there are four things in Jewish life we talk about being complete. What are the four? There's tshuva shlema. What else? Refua shlema. Emuna shlema. Geula shlema. Etrog. Etrog. Emuna shlema. Tshuva shlema. Refua shlema. Geula shlema. Etrog. Good way to remember it, right? Full faith. Complete faith. Complete tshuva. Complete refua healing. Complete redemption. Geula is right. Etrog. Emuna. Tshuva. Refua. Geula. Geval the way remember it, okay? So it says, so, so, so the very notion that there's a concept of tshuva shlema, the very notion that there's a concept of complete tshuva, 
also implies that there's partial tshuva. So this is a very important comment of the Mabit. Third and final comment in terms of the concept of the merit of a partial tshuva. Rabbi Saw Salanter. Rabbi Saw Salanter in his sixth letter in a sefer known as Or Yisrael. Rabbi Saw Salanter says as follows. I wanted just to read to you the source that he's based on. Rabbi Saw Salanter says, the Gemara, the Medrash Rabbah says, Banai, my children, Pitchuli petach echad shel tshuva kechuda shel machat. Open up for me one little window of tshuva which is as small as the top of a pinhole, the head of a pin. And I will open for you wide expanses, even wagons and chariots can pass through. So from this source, it seems to be implied that the process of tshuva is not expected for us to do it all. But rather, the process of tshuva is to do a little bit, and then Hashem will return and help us do the rest. So, what does this mean, practically? So, Rabbi Salanter says the following. Salanter, and this is a very important nakuda. This is so practical, you can walk away with something. This is a very important nakuda. So, let's say a person says, you know, I want to walk away from Lashon Hara. So, Lashon Hara is a very big sin. And, but, I, but I do it in many contexts. So you know what? I say to myself, listen, Lashon Hara, within, there are mitzvahs that are easier than mitzvahs that are harder. Right? So mitzvah, Kibbut Aim is a very hard mitzvah, but it's not always hard mitzvah. Kibbut Aim is not hard if, to open up the door for my, for my parents. That's so hard. But then there are times that Kibbut Aim is very, very hard because they're asking me to do something that's hard. Or, or I have to shut my mouth when I really want to say something. Or, or, or it's a difficult parental situation. Not every mitzvah is always hard or always easy. There are times that a mitzvah is hard. It's not so hard to daven myriv. It's a little bit harder to get up and down in chakras. So tefillah is not always an easy mitzvah. It's not always a hard mitzvah. Mitzvah tefillah isn't so hard. I can, you know, I, I'm, I'm already up already. It's not so hard to do a mitzvah. So it depends on each person's nature and their particular situation. This is what Rabbi Salanta points out. And the Gemara tells, the Mishnah tells us that commensurate to the pain is the gain. Before Arnold, there's a Mishnah in Pirkei Elvis. Before Tzara Agra, commensurate to the pain is the reward. And so therefore, Rabbi Salanta takes this idea one step further. And he says, within the same mitzvah, or within the same Avera, one can distinguish. And he says, for example, Lashon Hara, speaking Lashon Hara about a random acquaintance, right, versus a spouse or a very close friend. It's much easier not to say Lashon Hara about someone close to us we might argue, you might argue with this, this distinction, but, but, the, but the point is the same. It's much easier not to say Lashon Hara about someone close to us whom we care dearly about, such as a spouse or a good friend, than an acquaintance with whom we don't have a very personal relationship. Therefore, the reward for overcoming the desire to speak Lashon Hara about a random acquaintance is much greater than the avoiding Lashon Hara about a spouse. The reverse can also be true. So therefore, Rabbi Sol Salanta says, an amazing Kiddush, if a person is steeped in a particular Avera, and they know that it is impossible for them to leave the Avera completely, they are considered to be a Baal Tshuva for a specific Avera, even if it's only part of the Avera. 
I won't speak Lashon Hara about this individual. So you can be a Baal Tshuva Gamor on a partial Avera, on a partial return. I, I'm not going to speak Lashon Hara between 1 and 3 in the morning. Okay? I won't speak Lashon Hara about this person. Right? So, so this is a very important strategy. The strategy as well as a perspective. It's a strategy of what? Of recognizing and realizing that the process of tshuva must be done in gradation, must be done in particular steps. And Rabbi Yisrael Salantar is teaching us there is value in taking the steps, in the gradualism of tshuva, in the gradualism of tshuva. Now, another... Okay, so that's, those are three basic comments, broad comments about the concept of chronic sinning. And if you think about it a little bit, some of the things I said also apply to an addictive personality. In what sense? If a person can't get out of it, but they really want to get out of it. So then what? So then the process, uh, then, then just the thinking and the contemplating itself has value according to the B'nai Yisachar and according um, to the, and according to the, 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 the Lecha Mishnah. Right? Because just at the moment, I don't want to, I'm not going to come back at the moment. Okay, so that is, that is point number, really. I'm not going to talk about Shubha Gemura for now, because that's, um, it's not so much, yeah. Let's, let's move on. Now, now, let me, uh, I'm going to end this year in 15 minutes, no matter what. So, maybe I won't finish exactly what I was going to say, but I want to get to some key other ideas. Now, a, f- a friend of mine, Rabbi Alex Manjo, who used to, was the first member, one of the first members of Lincoln, wrote a very beautiful ar- article called Tshuva in the Psychology of Change. And I want to read to you, um, I want to read to you two beautiful and relevant concepts, not speaking no, anymore about the perspective, but even strategically, understanding how to engage tshuva in terms of the nature of the nature of people and how they change. And, um, you know, change is a critical word when it comes to tshuva. The Ramam uses the word shinui, right? He's a different person. Shinui maise, changes his actions. The, 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 the Rabbi Yonah says, he's nepach ish acher. He's like a different person. So change is obviously a very, very important concept. Most of us don't want to change. We like, we're pretty comfortable. Many of us are comfortable with who we are. So, Rabbi Mandro says um, two very important ideas. Number one, number one, um, in, the, in many of the um, addiction programs, you, if you, let's say you abstain for 20 years, from something, or 10 years, or 5 years, and then you relapsed. So in many of the programs, it's ki'ilu, you're a failure. Like, I had 5 years of sobriety, but now I'm, like, you know, but I, but I failed yesterday, so I'm down to 1. I'm down to 0. So, Rabbi Manjo points out, he says, that's, that's known as a dichotomous approach to tshuva. Like, okay, so I'm, like, I'm a 0 again. I'm back to 0. But he points out that really in halacha, there are many sources that indicate that the process approach 
is much more close to the process of tshuva. It's true that maybe I'm down, I'm down to zero. I, I'm not. I, I've I faltered again, but I but I've I've done a lot in the last ten or fifteen years to overcome my challenges, and I'm not back to the same exact place. I've faltered, and I certainly need to have renewed efforts and renewed focus, but it's not simply as if nothing happened. And the process of the process the process approach to tshuva, as opposed to what he calls the dichotomous approach to tshuva, is um, something which fits very well. Number one, into what we said a moment ago, which is decreasing the avera, so it's happening less often. It's happening less often. That's important for Arisol Salander. That's important for the way that Ravobi looks at tshuva. The, the decreasing the, the, the behavior. Decreasing is also very, very significant. We have to understand the language of process versus the language of dichotomy. But then he says to me the most important nikuda, which is true for an addictive personality, and it's also true for each and every one of us here. In terms of understanding change, so we all want to change. But if we don't understand where we are up to in the process of change, then sometimes we will do something that's really unhealthy and will depress us. So for example, he, he makes the following, um, he, he presents five stages of change. The five stages are pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. Again, pre-contemplation, contemplation, action, and maintenance. Pre-contemplation is when you don't think you have anything wrong with you. Maybe other people think that you have something wrong with you, but you don't. This is what we would call in the Rambam's terminology, you are before, maybe no one I'm going to say, before hakarata chet. You are before recognizing the sin. So obviously, there's nothing to talk about. But at that point, there's, not, there's no way in which a person to do tshuva. Contemplation is where I realize that there's a problem. I'm makir, I have a karasachet. But st- I'm still not ready to move out of the problem. You know, I- I'm eating too much, but I'm not ready to change my behavior. Preparation is where the individual intends to change and begins to map out a strategy and a plan for how that change will take place. Um, they begin to develop a picture what that change will look like. Action is when you implement, you go from the preparation stage and you begin to implement your your um, your process. And then there's maintenance, of course, which is after the fact when you've done the process and now you want to hold on to it. Now these are obviously mostly intuitive. I didn't I didn't say um, maintenance. I didn't say any chidushim. But if you recognize these five stages, then you'll realize sometimes when people are going in the wrong way, you realize sometimes that people are not at the stage, they're jumping ahead of themselves. So for example, let's say um, a person is not at the stage of action, right? They're, they're, they, are, um, they are really first, they're, they're still thinking about it, they're contemplating, right? They recognize that there's something wrong, they're in preparation, but, but they think they're at the stage of action. So, so what happens is, that if you are in the wrong place, if you move too quickly along the line, then you begin to feel a sense of yeyush, a sense of depression, because, look, I can't change. So Rabbi Mandro says, for example, for example, um, I'm going to read to you the line that he says. Um, 
the awareness that change itself is a process and not an all-or-nothing proposition um, allows for gradual and effective change. Enhances resilience and limits abandonment of the change process while limiting the sense of failure one would experience when backsliding. Um, excuse me, one second. Depending upon what stage an individual finds oneself, the nature of the therapy and the intervention of choice will vary. An action-oriented therapy, this is such an important nakuda, an action-oriented therapy will be appropriate for those in the preparation or action stages. Thus, for those at one of the latter stages of the process of tshuva, there is a need to map out a plan for how the tshuva will take place. To paraphrase the language of Rabbeinu Yonah, it is incumbent upon us to develop ideas in our souls and to map out a plan to accomplish our desired goals. If we want to be kinder to others, what concrete steps are we taking to implement that desire? If we are going to limit our talking during tefillah, how are we going to create a context for that to happen? If we want to learn more Torah, how will we develop a strategy to designate the time for it and limit our distraction to ensure that we'll be successful? But these same, listen, listen to this Nakuda, these same action-oriented stages however, could well be detrimental to someone at the earlier contemplation stage. Individuals at these st- stages are simply not ready for action and will either ignore or be demoralized by attempts at change for which they are not ready. If you want to tell somebody who's about you, listen, I think I see you really are into it. You understand what it means to have a relationship with God. Go to Minion. So you're, you're, maybe they're not ready for that. And then they begin and then they begin to get resentful. This is not where I'm at. Right? First you have to think about what's tefillah. Motivate yourself. Learn about tefillah. Understand deeply the value of tefillah. Right? Understand how it, the advantages of, of davening. Understand what it means in relation with God. Understand what it means to be with socially with a minion. Understand, like, Think of it like spend time in the motivation and the contemplation stage, and when you do that, so then when you're ready to move on, it'll become a much simpler process. How many times do we find people flip and then flip back? Right? Why? Well, what's happening there? Because they're really they they bought into it on an intellectual level, on somewhat. But, but they're not ready for the action. It can't be that the Rebona Shalom created a tshuva which will ultimately not be effective in maintaining itself. So it has to be that the tshuva process has to incorporate the natural psyche of the human being. The Rebona Shalom created us in this way. Right, so therefore, you, you know, it's, so to rush people along, you have like this is something. When I was a, younger, I always wondered this. So you have a person who he's about about to become about tshuva, right? They just went to a discovery seminar. They just went to whatever it is. They just got into it. Now all of a sudden, so so they, so so then now, how could there ever be a state? Just like that's it. Okay, you you bought into it. Okay, tomorrow, stop driving on Shabbos. Eat kasha your kitchen. Tarasa mishpacha. Everything like so. Well, of course, why can't you do that? Because. That's not human nature. Change is a process that's very profound. And so therefore, the person who's in a, in, a, in, a, in a state of either chronic sinning or 
an addictive personality. So if they don't work those steps, and again, I'm not using the terminology of the 12 steps, because that's one, that's one mahalich. That's one mahalich, which is a good mahalich. But whatever the steps are, whatever the process is for you, working the steps requires one to move from the place of akara sachet, to recognizing the sin, to a place of, of contemplation and preparing for change and what that means and working it through, and then coming out with a strategy, a strategy for change, right? And then finally, right, once you have the strategy, slowly implementing that strategy in a way that can be healthy and can last. That's the point. Right? And this is and this is and this is something that's very, very important to understand, both from a halachic perspective and from the psychological perspective. There's much more to say about this, but I, I, I desperately need to talk about the topic of abusive relationships. And I want to just put out some very important things. And there's a lot to say, and certainly about everything that we've talked until now, there's a lot more to say, but let me just, these are just Rashi Prakim, just like, sort of like headers. Please turn the page, please turn the page. Actually, no, the, sorry, the last, the last line on the page. Many people think that Kibbut Avaim has no limits, no boundaries. And I want to read to you a Gemara. Why this Gemara, or how this Gemara is understood, is critical to understanding the notion of Kibbut Avaim. The Gemara tells us of a man who was not Jewish, his name was Dama ben Nisina, Kedushin 31a, and the Gemara tells us that Pamachat, this is the fifth word on the line, Pamachas, one day, he was wearing a, a gold crown or a gold hat, this man, Dama ben Nisina, was a chash of a mensh. He was a significant Gentile, he was, he was recognized in political circles, he was sitting in the, at the Roman among Roman Chashev people, maybe the Senate, who knows, Ubata Imo, and his mother was, his mother came, Vikarato Mimenu, she ripped off, she ripped off the cylinder or the cape, whatever the golden thing was, Vitapchalo Arosho, and she hit him on the head, Vyorkalo Bifanav, and she spit at him, Velohichlima, and he did not respond and did not embarrass her. So from this Gemara, the Gemara says, look how great, how chashav, how important, how significant this particular Gentile was in Kibbut Aveim, and look how far Kibbut Aveim goes. So when you read this, so it's, a pretty, it's pretty scary, right? So what do you mean, if, somebody, if my parents spits at me, in abuses public. me in public, so I, I have no, I, I, I can't respond? I'm like a, it's very hard, no, it's very hard. So let me read to you, turn the page, let me read to you what Tosvot says about this Gemara. Tosus quotes the Medrash, the top line, Ubat imovi karato. His mother came and ripped off the cape or the cylinder, the, the crown. Yesh pa Medrash, the Medrash explains, Shahayita miturefet mi da'ata. Anybody know what that means? She was miturefet mi da'ata. What does that mean? She was crazy. So why is that a very important comment to Tosus? In other words, when a crazy person does something to embarrass you, it might be embarrassing, but you can't hold that person accountable. Look, please, at the words of the Yamshel Shlomo, Rav, Rav Shlomo Luria, um, who makes the following very important qualification of this Gemara. I agree that this mother must have been miturefes midata. He's quoting Tosvos. This mother must have been crazy. Since this story is cited in order to teach us the laws of Kibbutz Avei, and if she wasn't miturefes midata, if she wasn't crazy, 
the son would be permitted to protest in order to prevent his mother from causing him financial harm. And certainly he can prevent her from causing him bodily harm. And even if she already harmed him, he can sue for damages and based in. So we must say that she was miturefes bidata, and that's why he couldn't protest, and that's why he didn't rebuke her. In other words, the comment, the comment of the Yamsha Shalom, which is really just simply a fleshing out of Tosvos, is that, of course, somebody that's crazy, an Alzheimer's patient, for example, cannot be held responsible for their behavior. It might be terribly embarrassing. So there, they need what? They need to have restraint. But Stam, if a parent is abusive, is wicked? Now, this is very important. We have to know when to give the right label. But if a parent is considered to be a wicked parent, a Russia, again, we need to know how to define that term. What is the halacha? Is there a mitzvah of kibbutz aim for a parent that is wicked? So this is a big machlokis. Please take a look at the, continuing on in the sources. Look, please, at, um, this is the Shulchan Aruch and Simon Reishmem, source 240, it's in Hebrew, and it's the fourth paragraph, Seif Kaf Aleph. Seif, excuse me, um, sorry, Seif Yud Ches. It says in the Shulchan Aruch, Mamzer Chayo B'Kibur Aviv Uvimora'o. A Mamzer, that means he's a product of an adulterous or incestuous relationship. That means that the father is not a, not a righteous person. Uh, he is obligated to honor his parents. I feel like Aviv Rasha, even if his father is wicked, he wrote, and he's a person that has sins. He still has to honor his father. That's what the Shulchan Aruch says. But the Ramah writes, Aviv Rasha. The Ramah writes that what that that we that there are those that say that he is not obligated to honor his father who is wicked. unless the parent did tshuva. This is a major machogus we shown him. Most we shown him. Most commentaries hold like the Ramah, not like the Rambam, not like the Shulchan Aruch. That if a parent is wicked, then there is no mitzvah of kibud avaim. Now, but this is not a simple thing. How do you paskin in a massive issue on a, to- on a Torah halacha? Not so simple, right? But I want to read to you the comment of the Orach HaShulchan, which is found right afterwards. The Orach HaShulchan quotes the Rambam. He goes through a few. He goes through a few of the proofs back and forth, which we don't have the time for. And then he writes at the end, the last line in the very last line of this sheet. For Rabbeinu Ramah Pasakatur, the Ramah Paskin like the Tur, Vizet Das Rova Poskim, and this is the opinion of the majority of Alachic authorities, the Nira Iker Bishas, and this seems to be the primary approach that if a parent is considered to be wicked, then there is no mitzvah kibidavim. Now I am not going to Paskin straight out that there's no mitzvah. But you need to know a, fa- the, a few very important things. When one is dealing with a, an abuser or an abusive relationship, if the abuser is not repentant, let's leave the parents out for now, if the abuser is not repentant, it is explicit in the Rambam and in the Shulchan Aruch, you do not have to forgive that person. Look, please go back to the first, look please at the first page. Turn the page back to source number two. Averos shebein adam lechavero. Averos between man and man. Ain Yom Kippur mechaper achayfaisenu. Yom Kippur does not atone until the person asks for forgiveness. I feel though he can eat the bedvarim, even if he just hurt him with words. Tarach lefaiso, he needs to ask for appeasement, etc., etc. So the, it's explicit. If some, so, so let's talk about for a moment the issue of relationships with abusive people. If an abusive person 
does not what? If an abusive person does not express mechila, forgiveness, so I do not have a halachic obligation to forgive them. I am not... What's that? If they don't express regret. If they do not express that they feel bad, right? Contrition. Forgiveness is incorrect, right. They don't express regret. So that's number one. But so, and, and if the... What about... That, maybe that's just a regular issue. What about the parent? Don't have Mr. Kibbutz Avayim. So we already learned the Ramah rights. No, there is no Mr. Kibbutz Avayim. If the parent is an abusive parent. If they are repentant, we'll get to that in a moment. But if they are abusive and they're not repentant, then the Ramah writes that. But may, maybe we have to follow the Rambam. So I want to read to you... I want to read to you what David Cohen says. And this is, I think, a very important and practical, unfortunately practical situation. Rav David Cohen says, David Cohen is a contemporary post today, and he says that if interacting with an abusive parent makes a person emotionally ill, if interacting with an abusive parent, is a mitzvah to be mechabi my parent, to call them up, is a mitzvah for me to inquire about their welfare, is a mitzvah for me to you know, send them a birthday card, is a mitzvah for me to go over to visit them, but let's say it causes me great pain and suffering. So if David Cohen says, that interacting with an abusive parent makes a person emotionally ill, then the child is exempt from this obligation. Since one is not required to spend more than a fifth of his assets for mitzvah saseh, then certainly one is not required to make himself sick. Obligating abused children to unconditionally honor their abusing parents will almost certainly exacerbate their emotional distress and or disability, and they are therefore not obliged to do so. There are many more pieces to this shayla, and many more reasons to be lenient, but I'm just trying to present to you that it's not so cut and dry in an abusive relationship with a parent that my obligation of tshuva requires me to be mechabed, to honor in that holistic way. What about if the parent is about tshuva? About tshuva, that they really recognize that they did something terrible. They really, they really feel bad about it. But you don't want, but, but you need to process that whole experience because it's not so simple just to release it, as we know. So listen to an amazing, amazing psaac. So what does Rav Cohen say? So Rav David Cohen says that the person who is exempt from the midst of Kibbutz Avayim, if you have an abusive parent, if it's going to cause an emotional distress then in a way, right, they are exempt. He's not right now. Now I want to, I want to, um, I want to share with you three more points, and I, I'm really going to end Mamish very quickly. So Rav David, <laughs> I really will. Rav David, so Rav David Cohen, that's one very important thing. But then. Um, what about in therapy? You're going to speak to your therapist about the way the parent acted. Let's say it was something mm-hmm. sexual. That's obviously terrible. Let's say it wasn't sexual. It was just in a generally abusive relationship or something that's bothering you. So, so Rav Zilberstein, Rav Zilberstein um, is the is the Rav of Ramad El Khanan in Eretz Yisrael. He's written many many svarim, and I believe he's the, one of the sons-in-law of Rav El Yashif. That's all. Rav Zilberstein. Um, deals with um, this question, among others. Um, an 18-year-old female student requested therapy for depression, social, social anxiety, and difficulties concentrating. She applied without the knowledge of her parents because she feared they would object and she would be punished. In the third session, the patient related with great de- difficulty that her father had been cruelly molesting her, etc. She related this to her mother, but she had a weak character and always stood by her husband. The patient believed that she was responsible for her father's behavior, etc. She tried to correct this by becoming anorexic, etc. The goal of the therapy was to help the patient see herself as the victim and not as accomplice to a sin, to affirm her right to privacy and her right to decide how people should relate to her. In the course of therapy, obviously, she was going to have to, she was going to have to express what her father did, and she was going to have to be, you know, being very, very direct. Um, was 
tweet was the treating psychologist performing a mitzvah of healing or an avera by causing the patient to disrespect and even despise her father, or an avera by causing the parent, the patient to disrespect and even despise her father. Rav Zilberstein responded, "If the father hasn't done tshuva, then he's a rasha, and there's no obligation to honor him. While the shach rules." that one isn't obligated to honor a wicked father, it remains forbidden to cause him pain. And if the father would be aware that his daughter was receiving this type of therapy, it would cause him pain. Rabbi Zilberstein suggests that perhaps it would still be permissible because in this situation the father damaged her and acted immorally. The prohibition against disrespecting and despising a parent applies only when the child's goal is to disrespect for the sake of humiliating the parent, but not when it is done for the sake of treatment and for the sake of the health of the daughter. After all, it is also the father's benefit that he have a healthy daughter able to marry. The therapy is not a disgrace for the father, rather it is a healing for the daughter. You follow that point? Okay, now... What about if the father had done tshuva? Amazing line of Zilberstein. The father had done tshuva. One could assume that he would consent that his daughter would disrespect him in her heart so that she should be healed and be able to marry and so that he should achieve a kapara for what he did to her. If he did tshuva, part and parcel of the tshuva process is that he let his daughter become healthy. Very, very interesting. Last, um, okay, so what are we saying? In challenging relationships that are clinically abusive, there is, and, and the abuser does not express forgiveness, uh, remorse, contrition, certainly there's no obligation for me to, to, do, to allow them to be mochadam. And even when they have done shuva, if it's a situation of a parent, if it's going to be a situation which will cause me unbelievably emotional toil, then, according to many, according to post-game, I'm not obligated necessarily to engage in that relationship. And if it's not a parent, it's just a stamina abusive relationship, and, and they want to do tshuva, right, so, so certainly, if they really are sincere in the tshuva, I might have an obligation to forgive them, but forgiving them doesn't mean to what? Doesn't mean to interact with them, to engage with them. It doesn't require that. Tshuva is not the same thing as complete rehabilitation. If a rabbi or a therapist, 2 to 10% of the time, a rabbi and therapist will violate the boundaries of that relationship. 2 to 10, that's the, that's the latest research, 2 to 10% of the time. So if a rabbi has done that, he has violated the boundaries in some ways that might be very sinister, in some ways that are less sinister, but he feels bad about it. And there are different types of offenders. It could be a one-time offender. It could be, it's a, it's a pathological offender. And he feels bad about it. The question of rehabilitating the rabbi is not the same question of, as tshuva. Tshuva is not the same thing as communal policy. If a tshuva, if the rabbi can do tshuva, the, psych, the therapist can do tshuva, it doesn't mean that I have to re, re-engage the therapy. It doesn't mean I re-engage in the relationship. That could be craziness. Right? Now, last point. Last point. Uh, two points, actually, and then we'll end with this. Um, this is one of the wisest, simple stories um, that I've read. A friend of mine is a therapist who wrote a book called Power, The Power of the Positive. And he writes that there was a Balas Chuva, name is Chava, confu- consulted me about painful reactions to a member of her family. The relationship had been strained for many years. It was clear that Chava's grievances were legitimate. I told Chava that this relative seemed to have a severe psychiatric condition that explained her abusive behavior. To say that Chava was relieved is an understatement. She had worried that there was something that she had done to deserve this horrible treatment. Perhaps she thought, I am the crazy one here. She now realized that she was not crazy or evil. But one problem remained. The relative was still very much a part of Chava's life. So, we talk about tshuva, but what about, you still have to, <laughs> it's very nice, I, I could say don't engage, but let's say the person the memory of your family. So what do you do there? 
One problem remained. The relative was still a part of Chava's life. When they got together, there was always friction and discord. Not surprisingly, my suggestion that Chava change her way of dealing with the relative met with resistance. Why should I change? I am not the one who says these terrible things. She had a point, but so did I. Chava's resentment was doing nothing to change the relative. The saying that bearing a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other guy to drop dead. Bearing a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other guy to drop dead. Is true. Forgiveness is not about condoning someone's wrong actions. That's the way, this is from a psychological perspective, not from a lachik. It's about accepting the reality that people make mistakes. Forgiving helps us relate to others as they truly are. In other words, when a person is able to reframe the relationship on the basis of understanding who the person they are interacting with is, if I have expectations that are very high, and then I'll be disappointed, so then I'll constantly be in friction and discord. But if in my re-engagement I recognize this person has blinders, they will never change this particular behavior. They are, will always be loud. They will always be obnoxious. They will, that's who they are, but they don't mean it. They're really bad, and they're good for five other reasons. But in these areas, they cannot change themselves. They are blind to this area. So then my releasing that my releasing that grudge allows me to interact albeit in a new way with that individual and then he closes with a very powerful makshav he says I thought of Chava this Rosh Hashanah as I asked Hashem to inscribe us in the book of forgiveness perhaps we are not only asking Hashem to forgive us we are also asking Him for the ability to forgive I reflected on how much of a blessing it is to forgive others. It made me ask Hashem to be like Chava and to inscribe me in the book of forgiveness. Not that I'm only asking God to forgive me, but giving me the capacity to forgive others. And then the last uh, point to make in this year um, is that this fellow writes, this Dr. Joshua Mark writes, that boundaries, a person has to know boundaries in a relationship. A major stress and difficulty in the tshuva process is when you feel someone is breaching the boundary and sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes people call me up, Erev Shabbos, Rabbi, I'm sorry, do you have a place for me to stay? Right? And it's Erev Shabbos. I know that you're not busy and I'm sure you'd be happy to find me a place to stay. And sometimes I feel resentful because, you know, you could have called me Thursday, could have called me Wednesday, could have Tuesday, what, Friday afternoon? So I feel bad, right? And I feel bad. Like, you know, but why do I feel bad? Just, okay, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it. But, and then I feel bad and then I feel resentful. No, no need to feel resentful. Just establish the boundary. This is the nature of the relationship. I can't do it. So Rabbi Dr. Mark says that he was in Connecticut, his hometown, and they're good, they had a convention, and it was a convenient way to be in the company of Gedoli Torah. He made arrangements to go for the Shabbos, the beautiful Shabbos, and the highlight of the event was to be a speech by Rav Gifter, Zatzal, and Moshe Shabbos. I planned, if the opportunity presented itself, to ask Rav Gifter a question about something he had written in a Torah journal not long before. As I waited in the lobby of the hotel for the talk to begin, who should walk by but Rav Gifter himself? I immediately decided to take the chance I'd been waiting for. May I ask the Rav a question? He smiled and responded firmly, No, I have to prepare my speech. That no opened my eyes to what my therapist had been trying to help me understand about boundaries. Here was a Gadol Batara, someone whom I aspired to be like, who had said no. By his actions, where a gift to model the standard that I needed to develop to become a functioning happy Batara, it was indeed okay to say no. 
boundaries are not a license to become self-centered, adequate knowledge of the laws of interpersonal relationships help us maintain the balance. One of my supervisors used to frequently remind me of the airline safety regulations announcing at the beginning of the flight, if you are traveling with a small child, please make sure to put your oxygen mask on first and then assist the child traveling with you. Although it may sound cool at first, a parent must put on his own oxygen mask first because he must be conscious to help his child. This wisdom is not only true for air travel, it is true for all of life. Once we have healthy boundaries, we have much more energy to help others. So these are some initial insights into the issue of tackling tshuva, difficult relationships, challenging situations, chronic sinning, addictive personalities. Shem should give us the ability and the wisdom and the, and the persistence and the strength to be machzir b'tshuva shlema. Hashem Hashem you should come and you should allow us to return to you. Be'ezus Hashem, we should all have a din tov. Be'ezus Hashem, we should be zocher to gezunt gefen, gezunt parnosa nachas for this year. Be'ezus Hashem. Amen. Amen. Amen.